most of us would like to harken back to the old days of delivering a great whiskey at a reasonable price um, and also see the availability. I mean, that would be fantastic. Uh, I, I think we grew up or got into the whiskey business early enough that we, you know, you know, Old River and Winkle 15 was a $9 pour. Hey everyone, first off, Merry Bourbon Christmas. This new episode is a flashback to an interview Ryan performed while at the 2017 Kentucky Bourbon Festival, and he's sitting with one of the show's all-time favorite guests, Bill Thomas of Jack Rose. In addition, we're joined by the likes of Mike Jasinski, Jared Hyman, and Mike Miller of Delilah's in Chicago. This is a regular who's who in bourbon, and it's a great take on the industry of high-end bourbon pours and the savviness of bourbon markets. We hope that all of you get all your bourbon Christmas wishes come true, whether it's a new bottle, a decanter, new drinking glasses, or as our guests talk about today, an entire Old Crow chess piece set. I want to thank everyone that has been supporting the show through Patreon because you all are the ones that have continued to help us grow. And don't worry, we've got two more episodes that come out before the end of 2017. And if you can read between the lines, that means there's going to be another kind of sneak peek episode with Ryan actually running it again at the helm. Please keep those Bourbon Pursuit audience surveys coming in to get your opportunity to win a $50 Amazon gift card. I know you're traveling for Christmas, so take the three minutes out of your trip and go to bourbonpursuit.com survey and tell us what bourbons you have learned more about because of this podcast. And please keep those iTunes reviews coming in. With that, enjoy this week's episode. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. 
And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to noseyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. All right, and we're back with another episode of Bourbon Pursuit. Ryan here. We're down in my hometown, Bardstown, Kentucky. Super excited for this week, Bourbon Fest. Uh, when you're from here, Bourbon Fest growing up was just kind of a party you snuck into to kind of hang out, get drunk. But now it's really become the focus of the bourbon community, bourbon industry. It's good to have everyone here. We are here at the Harrison Smith House, an awesome restaurant in Bardstown. Um, happy to have them to host us. But we came here to interview Bill Thomas, he was on with us in episode 67, uh, one of our most listened to episodes. Fred Minnick hates that that you're you beat him. He like he's like, why can't I be Bill? You know, he why is he number one? For so many reasons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just but, kidding, Fred. Just kidding. No, we just kind of walked in here. Uh, they're all setting up for an event called Whiskey Pig. It's but it changed to Bourbon to Bonanza, right? Or what? Why the name change? I'll let Jared take that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, there's a, there's a brand that's pretty close to a whiskey pig and we wanted to be respectful and not have that written. Oh, so we went with bourbon bonanza. Makes sense. Makes sense. Talk to your lawyers about that, I guess. No, no, this is Kentucky. We just, you know, had a short, had a short phone call with a friend and said, you know what? Yep. We'll be respectful. Awesome. Awesome. Well, why don't we go around and introduce everyone? So go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure. I'm Jared Hyman. I work with Bill at Jack Rose. I'm Mike Miller on Delilah's in Chicago. I'm Mike Chizinski. I have a charity named Jeeps for Joy that is the beneficiary of Whiskey Pig this year or Bourbonanza. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a charity event. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, uh, no. And I'm Bill Thomas. Yeah. Jack Rose. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, this is a, everything from tonight goes to a charity. Can you talk about the charity that it benefits and what it goes towards? Okay. So the whole point of doing Bourbon Bonanza was to benefit charities that are in the Kentucky, you know, Bardstown area. So this year, we've chosen two charities that all the money is going to go to. One of them is called the Guthrie Opportunity Center. Yeah. Which is... I go uh, there on the go foods. It's awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's a great charity that uh, helps adults with developmental problems uh, get jobs in the restaurant industry. And this year, we're also working with a new charity that's called Core Gives, which is a restaurant employees charity that's based out of Nashville. So if a restaurant employee has a child that gets sick, they have a home fire, um, you know, lose everything in a flood, they can apply to these chari- this charity Core Gives to get grants to help them through daily life. That's awesome. This is, what is this, the third year this has been going on? Yeah, this is uh, year number three. Um, the, the first year was kind of born out of the original event that we did at Jack Rose with uh, Sean Brock. I mean, we just had an absolutely ridiculous time. One yeah. of the one of the first large scale whiskey centric charity events, and you know, it's really great to see now that it's expanding beyond just us doing them. And there's many, many people now doing yeah, similar I, I, events. And I think we 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 just want to put the band back together. Yeah. After that event, we had such a good time that we were like. We should just take this on the road and go to Bardstown. Yeah. And now it's become a staple of the, I think, of the festival and uh, something we enjoy doing. It gets us a chance to get together with a bunch of people that we don't get to see. So, yeah. And plus, Bill Murray shows up, you know, in, in parties last year. So, it's celebrities all around. This was one of the hardest tickets to get this year. It sold out in like 
12 minutes, you know. I'm going to do my best to replace Bill Murray's drunkenness with my (laughs) own and try to be slightly obnoxious and annoying. Great. We've got got somebody already volunteering for the live auction. So everybody has. That's not me. I don't have to have the mic up there. Fantastic. Everybody needs to hide their cell phones. There was a couple, I think, thrown last year when people try and take pictures. But anyways, so. Yeah, exactly. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) So, Bill, what's uh, new with you? What have you been up to? Uh, we're still trying to get, uh, we have two restaurants under construction back in, in DC. Uh, so we're, we're finishing up those construction projects. Uh, one of them is whiskey focused. One of them isn't. So one of them is other spirits focused. Uh, so just kind of increasing my education on other spirits and, uh, you know, what kind I, of other spirits I've been buying up a lot of, uh, old brandies, uh, cognacs, uh, some fortified wines, um, you know, just anything that's outside of the whiskey family, really. Are you diversifying? Like, you think it, the whiskey's hit its peak, or? Uh, you know what? No, I don't feel whiskey's nowhere near hit its peak. Uh, it definitely hasn't even hit its peak in pricing, that's for sure. But uh, Bill is diversifying. <laughs> I'm Bill. diversifying I, Bill. I, yeah, I, you know what? Which we have to respect. Yeah. yeah, I just, you know, I hate to say this. Uh, and it's one of those things where, like, I'm diversifying. And I, I always tell this great story uh, about Mike and I walking across a field back in the mid 2000s, and I'd be like, you know what I'm doing? And, and I would tell the, to Mike, and Mike would be like, yeah, I did that last year. And Mike's <laughs> been diversifying our products for a long time. He's got a wealth of uh, spirits knowledge. So I think I'm just following the Delilah's, uh, Delilah's thing one year later. Oh, no, come on. <laughs> yeah, so you just for, make it bigger, buddy. <laughs> so for everybody that doesn't know you, Mike, could you give a little background where you come from, how you got into bourbon, like story behind Delilah's? Okay, Delilah's existed for the last 24 years. Um, Early 20 years ago, there wasn't a bourbon bar category. There wasn't a whiskey bar category. There wasn't a beer bar category. You were what you were. Um, Delilah's is Mike's bar. I'm the target customer. So I've always carried a big selection of beer, wine, and spirits. Only beer and spirits because it's what I'm into. So we carry about 1,300 spirits right now. About 1,000 of them brown spirits. So, um, but for Delilah's, we're a rock and roll bar. So uh, we're not a whiskey bar. Yeah, it's like a punk rock bar, right? Yeah. yeah. So we're not a whiskey bar. We're just a bar that has a lot of whiskey. Gotcha. It's a little bit different. Um, so we kind of have a collection of spirits there. And, um, you know, though we joke about it, uh, I have 15,000 bottles of beer cellaring. We have specialty beer events. Um, for me, I got drawn into the whiskey community because, A, it's fun. And, B, in the early days of the beer, craft beer movement, Chicago had like four breweries. And so I knew I had been brewing. I knew all the brewers. It's a tight community. Now we have 5,300 breweries in America, and it's virtually impossible to know all the beers and all the brewers. Um, but the whiskey community, still today, but especially 20 years ago, talk about a finite number of people. Right. So you know, people from Kentucky and people from Scotland would roll into my weird little punk rock bar, and some gravitated towards it, and we became friends. And so the community of people who make whiskey and the community of people who make beer back in those days, very similar sensibility, very communal, you know, they, you know, you might be the competitor, but we're still sitting together and having drinks. It's right. kind of the way it is, you know, generally speaking, in alcohol production, I think. And so in the early days of Delilah's, it was just fun. My, old, my bar owner friends in those days would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> A bourbon Why whiskey bar? What's booze? What is the point? And I would tell them that it was fun and there was no one to tell me no. 
So yeah, it's still not the best thing for the bottom line. Hearing all this stuff, I mean, can I, can I tell everyone right now? Yeah. yeah, whiskey bar is not a good business model. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, for my operations guys, I get lectured all the time: stop buying, stop buying. But it's impossible. It is impossible to stop buying whiskey. So how is the buying? <laughs> the how is the buying these days? Like, uh, it seems like it's ultra competitive. You know, the secondary market's crazy. How, what is hunting like now? Hunting? What yeah, is that or, anymore? You know, is there such a thing? Anymore? I guess it's not hunting, but well, you know, you just have to kind of refocus your attention. When, as Bill was saying earlier, when I the first barrel I ever picked out was a barrel of Blanton's with L1T Lee and Joe Pajusti from Sam's Wines and Spirits, and it was in uh, 1998. And other than a couple of very in the know, off-premise retailers, no one was putting out barrels with their with their name on it. No one. And I just kind of got lucky that that opportunity existed for me based on another person in Chicago. And then we were able to do these really crazy, old, extinct flavor profile whiskeys as custom whiskeys. So that opportunity doesn't exist anymore, A. So we can get barrels. It, it kind of does. <laughs> but we can, we can get bottles maybe that say selected for with a sticker on it, which isn't my lean so much. But right now, you know, we can all walk into a warehouse. I was with Jimmy and Eddie Russell a couple of days ago in a warehouse. We tasted through about 16 barrels. And not only was that a fantastic experience, but what you find, and, and we all know that every barrel is going you know, to taste a little bit different, what you find is out of those barrels, you can at least find one and you're like, that is yeah, absolutely delicious. So without naming names, we can go online right now and bid in an auction and, and put down 1500 bucks for a bottle of something, something, Van something, and say, you know, okay, I got one. Or you can say, man, you pay a lot of dough for that bottle of whiskey when I'm going to buy that barrel that has 200 bottles in it and it's going to cost me this and I'll put it up next to this. And if you taste them side by side blind, you tell me that one is better than the other. Yeah. So I think that right now the opportunity for, for people like us that are into specialty stuff is, are you going to cruise into some weird liquor store on the West side of Chicago <laughs> on the bottom shelf and find some dusties that are like home runs harder and harder. Yeah. And it's not something about economics. It's, it's about having fun with it and finding cool stuff, sharing it with your friends. For me now, it's a little more about, we have 17 of our own custom whiskeys, which we'll be pouring today at, at Bourbon Bonanza. So creating our own brands, Bill and I put out our first collaboration whiskey earlier this year. So we're working together to put out whiskeys together that are unique to our businesses, that are on-premise focused whiskeys. So if you want to try our specialty whiskeys, they're not a brand name. They're our brand names. So are you trying to gear that towards your customers or your taste, like the profiles that you're looking <laughs> for? <laughs> I am the target yeah. customer. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. I think I think we trust our palates enough. Yeah. Uh, but I was discussing this with Jared the other day. We, we, you know, we're talking about buying vintage. And I think Jared and I are both in agreement, too, as well, that barrels are where it's at. Yeah. Like the days of like, we're not, you know, great vintage whiskey, sure, if you can get it. But the value is in collaborating, doing stuff. I mean, that's... The, the whiskey bar of tomorrow is all about the barrels you're getting today. Well, the industry, I mean, well, the, the market, I guess, is so focused on limited releases, you know, the B-Tags, the Pappies, and Dusties that I I kind of got burnt out by it because it used to be, you know, you go to the liquor store, there'd be Pappy on the show or whatever, but 
so I got burnt out, but these store picks is like where I'm at. Like I'm telling people that's the, where the unicorns are and that's where you need to spend your time searching for. But we've got, we've gone far than that in the sense that we're actually having whiskeys made for us. We're thinking I got you. 10 years down the road. Now we're thinking 20 years down the road. We're not saying, Hey, let us, we are saying if possible, let us come in and, and find that amazing single barrel. But we're also saying, Hey, let's take a hand in the creative process of making this whiskey so we know that we're gonna serve something great in five years, in 10 years, that we actually you know, had a hand in and we can deliver it to you at the best price. So when you say you're making whiskey, like are you going to like, I guess a lot of new craft distilleries and kind of, are they more flexible or are you going to existing distilleries? I, How I think Mike and I are using most of our old contacts that are, that are coming back again, that we're, we're getting more exposure to the, the guys that we used to deal with again, which is nice because they've got their capacities up. And we're also going with the newer guys that are doing the quality whiskeys the way the old guys used to do it and working with them as well. But we're not just seeking out any craft distiller and saying, hey, can I get a barrel or can you make me something? It's gotta be you know people that we respect. I mean, we work with, everyone we work with, we respect. And we know that they you know, have a certain level of integrity when they're making their product. And that's what means the most to us. Maybe we have a little bit of a, unique perspective because we've been doing it for a long time. So we can see how were we doing business with people a decade ago? What was available to us based on today's conditions? We can go and say, hey, you young distiller, you've been making whiskey for five, six, seven years. Um, we want to do this. And to your point, maybe they're a little more open-minded to do something really experimental, even though they are experimental by nature. And we can say, okay, I want to work with, I want to, I'm going to bring some stuff to you. I'm going to bring some barrels to you. And I want to take your whiskey and create a whiskey that otherwise wouldn't have existed. And we have maybe the, the ability to approach people, newer distilleries to say, we want to do something extremely experimental. We can go to a younger distillery, did a Kilhoman in a Sauterne barrel that only exists from us. Right. So if you want to try the single barrel Sauterne barrel kill Homan, you got to walk into Jack Rose, you got to walk into Delilah's, otherwise you cannot have it. You have to go out, you have to leave your house. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you cannot, you cannot flip. How do but, you, I guess, educate your consumer or your, you know, your patrons? Cause you know, so everybody's so focused. Like when you go to a whiskey bar, like, I mean, I'm guilty of it. When I went to Jack Rose, I was like, all right, what have I not had? What if I want to try, you know, something. Jared's you know, out there doing a lot of education. So I think that's where it comes in. Let, let Jared go out and do that. So, uh, well, when it comes to the education side, people are so open and accepting, and and wanting to learn so much more that you can steer them in the direction of of where the market's going, and they can feel like they're ahead of the curve and get better value out of out of their experience. Like that doesn't mean that you should go to a bar like Jack Rose or Delilah's and not have a pour of Old Granddad from the '70s because you've never had it. Right. But it means that every time you go, you don't have to ring up a four or $500 check to have six whiskeys you've never had before. You can have one or two special vintage ones and then work backwards and try three or four things that are really unique to the place that you, that, that you are or to where the market is going. And then you've tried them and you have an idea to open up your, you know, to open up your profile moving forward, what you're comfortable with. So do you think the vintage market is kind of I mean, there's only so many old granddads, you know, and Stitzel Weller products. Do you think it's tapped out? I, I don't think the vintage market's tapped out at all because you have hundreds of thousands of whiskey consumers who just still have stuff in their house and 
it's just stuff being uncovered in estate sales and you know just any any form outside of liquor stores. I mean, with Kentucky opening up the vintage spirits law, I think you're going to see a flood of of vintage spirits coming out because there's never been a a, a really legal way for people to disperse with this old alcohol that's just hanging out in their basement. Right. I mean, there's probably hundreds of people who have grandparents who have stuff in their basements that, you know, what are you going to do with it? You know, every, pretty much every state, it's illegal to sell the alcohol in any way outside of a licensed retailer. So you have people who just have no idea what to do with it. And now that North Carolina and Kentucky are opening this up, it's going to be, they're opening Pandora's box. Do you think, Tennessee oh, go well. ahead. Sorry, Tennessee has a, uh, Tennessee has a private collector's permit that rolled in with the changes they made um, in, about two years ago. So for, I believe, the number is $1,000, uh, you can apply to have a private collector's permit, which means that you can buy whiskey from anyone, right? And any whiskey that's been sold at retail before. And the only requirements are that you pay this fee and that your collection is available for public viewing. That if someone goes on the state website and says, do you know what, Bill Thomas, you're a private collector. I'd like to call you and view your view your collection. You know, your basement is someplace that's available for public viewing. It doesn't mean that you have to have rent. So I think we see that like some of these states, just like North Carolina and Kentucky, that Mike was, you know, mentioning is making this uh, is is making this vintage market seem a little bit smaller for us. So as I guess you guys, you know, are in the business as business side of it. How do you think it's going to affect pricing for you guys? You know, is it going to increase it or? We've seen some already, we've seen some tumbles in the market as, already uh, where some prices have gone down, which has been nice. Because, I mean, I, I think most of us would like to harken back to the old days of delivering a great whiskey at a reasonable price um, and also see the availability. I mean, that would be fantastic. Uh, I, I think we grew up or got into the whiskey business early enough that we, you know, you know, Old River Van Winkle 15 was a $9 pour. Right. You know, and now obviously, I mean, we just ran out of that bottle uh, Saturday night at Jack and I had to replace it. And I, I'm, the cost on that is ridiculous now. I would think it would be because with the internet, anybody, you know, they find some bottles, they go on the internet and are like, whoa, this Old River Van Winkle, you know, is going for this much like, on a Facebook group or something. Whoa, this is what I can get out of it. Have you not seen that or? I, I see them trying to reference stuff like that. But I'm like, just because one bottle sold for that price, that is not the market equilibrium on that on that bottle. I turn down bottles all the time or I have to educate people all the time on what the reality is of what they can expect to get for their bottle. Uh, and then obviously once they make a few calls, they normally come back and be like, all right, you know, we're willing to sell. But, you know, every once in a while, you'll get somebody who just screws up the market and <laughs> pays and, too much. Okay. <laughs> well, Bill and I always joke about being at the Master Stillers auction and doing everything we can to make sure that the Oscar Gas Museum and Whiskey History <laughs> gets the most money by overbidding for everything. But when I first went, what people wanted 15 years ago at that Master Distillers auction, they wanted signed bottles, they wanted new stuff, and that's what they were paying for. And I was buying bottles like those, pint bottles, pre-pro, 35 bucks, 40 bucks. Nobody was bidding on them, me. And the following year, another guy from Chicago was there. Maybe they were 60, 70, 80 bucks. The following year, this Japanese guy, Tatsumi, showed up 600 bucks. Because already over there in Japan, at that point, people were paying a lot more money to drink old bottles of American whiskey well before there was this 
just, you know, rush to it. So we've definitely seen this, you know, finding bottles at garage sales for five bucks. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've bought decanters for five dollars that were full of whiskey, <laughs> yeah. but they were selling the decanter. Right. So, you know, I think what we've seen and what I think we'll continue to see is there'll be a peak when people are like you guys were saying. You're just tired of it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, people are going to be willing to pay what you can get for it. Yeah. And in a couple of weeks, there'll be some more pappy. They're making it. Yeah. So it's not rare. It, it's funny, that old auction, you talk about it, it was one of those ones where things were going nuts. And Tatsumi had put a bottle in and uh, it ended up going for like $1,000. And I bid on it up to like 500 or something. Then it went... And Tatsumi's sitting behind me and he taps me on the shoulder and he goes, I got another one in my car. I'll give you for 500. I was in one year. I was like, no way. And now I'd be like, I pay a thousand. Oh, it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Owen, Owen Thompson, one of, one of the guys who used to work for me, we actually bid up a bottle of Del Isles years ago and we bid it up and it only went for, and this is years ago, 500, which was astronomical back then. And we immediately took it out and drank it. That's it. We were like, it was $500 well spent. good value. <laughs> and as, as far as the prices go, what you're seeing also is that um, some folks are, the secondary market is growing and you're finding folks that are moving into it that are a little bit more um, business savvy yeah. or a little bit more market savvy. And whereas one might think that that pushes prices up, it actually tamps prices down. So you have that on top of a growing supply. And it's not that more old whiskey is being made. Uh, that's not what it is. It's that more old whiskey is being found because the network of people that's actively looking for it is growing, you know, is growing by the day exponentially. So that's more grandparents' basements. That's more antique stores. That's more, you know, hollowed out old buildings where, you know, where bottles are coming from. And when those are, when those are coming into a secondary market and maybe percolating to bars, rather than the secondary market or whatever, where in any direction they point, they're running into savvy buyers. Savvy buyers mean, you know, less, you know, less cost for them, as well as the next round of buyers are also savvy, meaning less markup. So it works in, it works in reverse to keep prices down. And the one, one prime example of seeing more supply of these older bottles that I can think of right off the top of my head is the old crow chess pieces. When I first started collecting, having a whole set of old crow chess pieces, that was like my holy grail. You know, I, I looked and looked and looked and looked and I finally found a set of them. Because if you read the old like straightbourbon.com articles about it, you know, they, they assembled a full set and split it up between a bunch of guys. And, you know, they pretty much had said this, you know, can never be done again. It'll never be found again like this. And now you just see them coming out of the woodwork. I mean, sealed cases of these things coming out with, with the carpets. I mean, at one point in time, people were saying there were maybe 50 carpets left. And now, I mean, every set you see has a carpet coming out. And, you know, definitely the supply is now starting to exceed demand for, for stuff like that. And also to the point of, of me being a little opposite of these guys, because I'm an actual you know, consumer and a patron <laughs> right. well, of, of, of these, of these guys bars. I think my favorite thing to do is to go into Jack Rose or go into Delilah's and set a budget for myself of like $10 a pour 
and just try whatever they have on the menu for that's like less than 10 Give yourself like a salary cap where you can well, kind of go. And, I mean, you know, I can go in there and, and blow it out if I wanted to, <laughs> right. but you get to try so much amazing stuff that you don't see other places. And when your eyes get really big, looking at the little special cabinets in the middle and you see all these crazy pours, you're ignoring some of the best stuff. Like I think they have like Colonel Lee BIB on the menu for six bucks from the 1990s. That's hands down one of my favorite pours. And people are so remiss when they go in there and they don't even consider to to look at at something like that. That's, you know, just a, a basic Barton, you know, four-year-old bottled and bond, but you get amazing value out of some of these bottles that people tend to ignore because they're not, you know, the superstars. Right. We just put out a bunch of pre-fire Heaven Hill stuff, oddball labels, the labels that you don't expect. That I just was like, you know, oh, they have a ton of brands that you yeah, just a ton of like. Brands that you would know. I put them out for like twelve bucks. You know, I mean, they're just and they're fantastic picks. And but I you know. just gotta know. You gotta look and. Are those out right now? <laughs> those are out right now. They're, yeah, I'll, I'll be by. And yeah. I know we just replaced the Colonel Lee because someone must know. Yeah. <laughs> have you been telling other people in other interviews? We did, and uh, I, th- I think I, th- I think I think Jared tracked down a handle of one for me. So that, well, uh, that's we're like stuck for the a while. ancient age one hundred and seven used to be like twelve dollars on your menu, and I haven't seen a bottle of that in a little while. I'm getting a little concerned. Yeah. You know what the the best value is? Is just to stay with Bill, and then you drink for free, like. You just go to his house and you don't have to pay. It, it's it's the best of both worlds. Either that or be a really attractive girl and then come by and just say hello to me and then I'm, just, I'm exactly. Fine. What you do is you arrive, you arrive by yourself before your boyfriend gets here. Get talking to me, then I pour you off something amazing. Then he shows up and then he gets it for. I charge exactly. those girls double so that when their boyfriend gets there, we've already set the bar. When the boyfriend gets there, and if he doesn't get there, then we work it out down the line. I like it. I like it. Now, so I don't know if you know, like we had a. In this summer, there was um, some fakes, frauds on the secondary market that were exposed, I guess, um, on the you know forums and message boards and whatnot. How do you guys protect yourselves from that? I mean, obviously, you're pretty savvy, but I mean, some buyers of those were and they, they were taken, you know, for it. So how do you kind of protect yourself and any advice you can give people? Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, 
the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. There was um, some fakes, frauds on the secondary market that were exposed, I guess, um, on the you know forums and message boards and whatnot. How do you guys protect yourselves from that? I mean, obviously you're pretty savvy, but I mean, some buyers of those were and they, they were taken, you know, for it. So how do you kind of protect yourself and any advice you can give people? Uh, well, being familiar with your surroundings is a starting place. You know, nothing can ever, nothing can ever replace dealing with a trusted, with a trusted seller and a trusted, you know, a trusted trading partner, someone that maybe has a great reputation among hundreds or even thousands of folks, or someone that you've done a lot, a lot of business with, a lot of trades and stuff. That's, that's the starting point. But beyond that is be familiar with your surroundings. If you're going to trade for a bottle or buy a bottle that you've never seen before, find 20, 30 pictures of that bottle. Find lots and lots of pictures. Use, use groupthink. That's what the internet's for. Reach out to folks that are more familiar with these labels and, you know, and ask their opinion on it. You know, educate yourself. The, uh, the internet isn't the most forgiving place for folks <laughs> wanting to learn about American whiskey, mostly because of like the colloquial nature of, you know, of our industry, how it's been family owned, how there are, how there, how tech, the advent of technology in, in an American whiskey hasn't been there looking backwards as a, as a, as a repository. We don't have a lot of that old information that's easy, easily accessed. So use the people the same way the distillers who are opening a new distillery, reach out to the master distillers that are there now and ask them to come help, help them out, reach out to other people in the market, you know, work, you know, work backwards before you work forward. We, we also, I mean, we do, you know, we send photos back and forth. I know if we yeah. have a question on anything, Mike, and, Mike guys, and I have been doing it for Mike Jasinski and I have been doing it for years. Yeah. People used to come to us with bottles all the time. We'd each give an answer and then talk later and then I'd be like, Oh, I said the same thing. Yeah. yeah but, but there's, <laughs> so like, do you come across those the four guys in this room have probably yeah. seen almost, almost every bottle. And then if there's a bottle, we don't know, you pick up the phone, you call Mike Veach yep. and Mike Veach has amazing wealth of information. The, here's the difference. And this is why I think Kentucky distillers, even the young ones make great whiskey as much in the way that we know fakes, is we know who to pick up and call if there's a problem. Just like the Kentucky, there's someone in every distiller in Kentucky, someone in their family was a distiller or their neighbor's a distiller. So if there's a problem, they can pick up the phone. And that's what these guys are. It's a massive reference of actual hands-on bottles. And that's what makes like us certifying that a bottle is legitimate, it's legitimate. You know, and we share and it's like, you know, Bill and I have a conversation every few weeks where I like, hey, came across a new kind of packaging that I hadn't seen from the 60s or the 70s, maybe something that went to export or, hey, came across something, something that looks a little bit off and we share and we converse. Oh, I actually saw some of those in collections years ago. OK, so we talk back and forth and really try to, you know, really try to grow each other's knowledge base on this because we never know when we're going to be alone. And sure, we can fire each other off a text and be like, hey, have you seen this? Hey, either Mike, have you seen this? But sometimes you're in the moment and you can't rely on yeah. people. So you really have to spend that time to grow. But I, th I think that also people are starting to educate themselves now because in the last year, when this stuff has been popping up, you know, there's been a little hysteria with it. And people, it's I think it's actually good for the market because yeah. people 
are starting to realize now that you just can't blindly buy because it's it's always been the you know the the, the bad information that there's no fake bourbon. There there's <laughs> been fake bourbon for a very very long time. Yeah, I mean, there think- were there were pre-prohibition fake bourbons. There were prohibition fake bourbons, and then you know up through the fifties, you know thirties, forties, fifties, you know maybe not, but. Then you start seeing stuff where there are definitely weird bottles, 60s, 70s, 80s. There's you know, a couple export things that looked a little funky, but definitely in the early 2000s, that's when you started seeing seeing stuff. Not a lot, but Italy has a way of doing a lot of very weird things, <laughs> you know, especially because they were faking scotches back back in the early 2000s. Right. A lot of whiskey got faked in Italy. And it doesn't help that there was a time period. There was a time period in Europe where the same way that distilleries may transport uh, tankers of whiskey back and forth domestically, if someone's buying X number of gallons or X number of barrels, that there were actually tankers of American whiskey being sent overseas, and that being bottled there. So we had different bottling conventions, sometimes different materials or a mix of American materials and locally sourced materials that make things very, very difficult to track that down. Yeah, and there was a bottle, I remember about six months ago, somebody sent me a picture of a bottle and they wanted me to authenticate or tell me information. And I hadn't seen the bottle and I scoured and I couldn't figure it out. And I was just like, so I called Veach. And I said, Veach, have you seen this bottle? I sent him the photos and Veach goes, I ran into the same bottle like 25 years ago. And what I think it is, is a reproduction bottle from, that was, or a, fake bottle from back then when someone did it. And now, of course, the bottle in it's like from the 60s. But the point was, we couldn't verify that it was absolutely a fake, but we couldn't verify it was real. But this has been going on now for 25 years. So the only thing I could tell someone was, listen, what you want to do is hold on to this bottle. As more things surface, maybe one day the information will be out there, but we can't give it a seal of approval that it's a a, a real bottle. So don't introduce it to the market. (laughs) Hold on to it. Wait until we can, or someone can authenticate it. Uh, but you'd be doing a disservice if you actually put it out there and represented it a certain way because we can't authenticate it, nor can we absolutely say that it's, you know, not real. Now, have you, you all seen the Sour Grapes documentary, right? Have you seen that on Netflix? No, okay. It's yeah, a, I, I've seen it. Okay. Do you think that that could ever happen to that scale in the bourbon community? It, it about, has. Is that about Rudy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 We're all- read. Read the newest whiskey advocate that came out has a very large article about Scotch counterfeiters from England, and it was a very, very large scale operation, very similar to what uh, Rudy Carazalan was doing with with the uh, Bordeaux and Burgundies, and it got to the point where it got enough noted enough, you know, press that. They actually arrested the guy and had a very large Scotland Yard raid on his on his uh, little business he was running, and he there were thousands of bottles, there were labels, there were there were Italian tax strips, there were closures. So, you know, def- definitely check out that article and see because there are you know rings going on that are that large, and I mean there, there's websites like. Alibaba, where I've seen like Macallan 12 labels on on this website, you know, just a just like a foreign Amazon. What's, what's the point <laughs> yeah. of selling 200 um, Macallan 12 labels? I mean, who needs 200 Macallan 12 labels? You're <laughs> right. not you're not making a, India. <laughs> you're making a yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So so there's the opportunity is definitely out there for somebody to to 
you know, make a lot of fake and counterfeit whiskey if they put minimal effort into it. And as a community, the whiskey community needs to come together to safeguard itself because in the secondary market, there are no safeguards because it's not exactly a legal means of acquiring whiskeys. So you can't just run off and say, hey, you know, this guy's selling me fake whiskey that I'm not even allowed to buy. So you kind of have to guard yourself as a community versus expecting someone to be there looking out for you. I think one thing you have to consider with American whiskey fakes is until relatively recently, there wasn't enough money in it to fake them, right? We right. were just talking about, you know, we used to get 12 packs. Yeah, that's of- what I thought whenever that that Sour Grace documentary came out. I was like, there's no way it's in bourbon because, you know, bottles are only like $500,000, you know, whereas the wine, they were like, Right. Multiples. So, so until relatively recently, there wouldn't I don't think there wouldn't have been nearly enough money in in counterfeiting American whiskeys. Now that's not necessarily true. But how would somebody get it'd be hard to counterfeit old pints because you can't counterfeit those old corks. And if you're counterfeiting anything, we know what you're gonna counterfeit, right? You're gonna counterfeit <laughs> whiskeys that come from Buffalo Trace, and you're gonna try to you know, match those. And so trying to match that packaging and those corks, that's conceivable. So what we would have to really be watching out for these days are counterfeit, like relatively new whiskeys. And I think that that's where the threat comes as we, as we move on into the future. And with those new whiskeys, folks have to spend a lot of time understanding the production methods for, for bottling those whiskeys so they know what they should look like when they buy them. You know, you'll see folks talk about, oh, well, you have to put a ruler against, you know, a Van Winkle foil. It's like, cool. Do you know what that, do you know what that ruler is telling you? Do you know what that foil is made of? Do you know why that, that works that way? You know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't necessarily do a lot to just apply, just apply a ruler or to just do this because someone told you to do it. Like spend the extra hour and learn why spend the extra hour and figure out which current whiskeys are safer to buy on the secondary market and why? Because of their proprietary capsules. Everything starts with the capsule, right? If you can't fake a capsule, you can't fake a whiskey. So figure out who has a proprietary capsule, like, you know, like a George T. Stagg capsule, right? Or a Weller capsule with the, you know, with the with the proprietary foil, right? When you start looking at standard production methods and you're using cellophane that that I can make with, you know, that I can that I can buy you know yards and yards at a time for twenty dollars and heat up with a hairdryer, right? Then what what are we really accomplishing there? You know, it's very hard to protect yourself. And and if you look at the list of whiskeys that had turned out to be the fakes that were uncovered on the on the secondary market sites, they were all just pretty. All the new ones were pretty much just cellophane topped whiskeys or, or wax topped whiskeys where people weren't familiar with. The particular waxing conventions and of, of each distillery, and there were also some dusty bottles. But the dusty bottles were so bad that I don't even know how it was possible that someone had bought them, but they did. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, th- there was such minimal knowledge that was put into making these fakes that so it, it was astounding that <laughs> that any of them got purchased. So See, I would be the perfect like target for these people. I would be so excited that I found a bottle. I'd be like, I'll take it. So let's, <laughs> so let's give you just a little help. Here. So what Mike's talking about is like when you look at the capsule of an old bottle of whiskey 
everything has to match. Meaning that like, and when I say the capsule for those folks listening at home, what I mean is, you know, what, whatever enclosure is around the top of the bottle, plus whatever comes off of that going down to the neck. And when you look at all of that, whether there's a tax strip involved or not a tax strip, whether there's a foil wrap, a paper wrap, a plastic wrap, all of that should look the same age. So when you have tax strips that look brand new and have gobs and gobs of glue around them, like they glued in the middle of the tax strip, well, you know what? And the rest of the label is all dirty and dusty. Oh, wow, that stuff doesn't match. You know, use, use, your, use your brain just a little bit. Details. And, and think about- well, Common and, and sense. Think, and think just a little bit harder about what that should really look like if it were 40 years old, if it were 50 years yeah, old. Yeah, provenance, provenance goes a long way, knowing who you're yeah. dealing with. And, you know, I, I hate auctions. And, you know, some of the auctions used to be held in New York and stuff. I would go up for them. I wanted to see the bottles in person. And then not only for just fakes, but also for the quality of the whiskey inside because people store things poorly. And you think that a photo in your magazine or your, on the internet is going to do it justice. You know, I don't make major purchases, especially on older whiskey, unless I have the bottle in hand. I mean, it's a rule. You better know that the provenance of that bottle. So if you're dealing with somebody you trust and you say, hey, I know this whiskey's good, it's clear and this and that, then you got one thing. But if you're just out there buying at auction or doing stuff, you really need to take a close inspection of the bottle. And, and as Bill says, provenance, right? Like provenance is very, very straightforward. It's the story of the bottle, right? Where it was, how it came into your possession, how it came into the previous buyer's possession and so on previous owner's possession, but that provenance is only as good as your partner, right? So if your partner doesn't come to you with bona fides, that provenance is just as shaky as the, as, as, as your partner is. Knowing your partner goes along. You see along some way. counterfeits where they, 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 they've done a pretty decent job, of the, but then the color of the juice is just not the yeah. right. You're like, oh my I God, mean, the simplest I've, thing to, I had to do and you've screwed it up. Yeah. I had someone come to me with some Van Winkles that I had to turn down. And he told me that the reason why I thought the foil was off. Now, mind you, I told him that the foil was off because it was a little off, but mostly because there were there were particles floating in floating in current Van Winkle products. Well, those products are chill filtered. So because they're chill filtered, there are no particles floating around in (laughs) in those whiskeys. So there's particles that actually look like cigarette ash, like floating around in these whiskeys. And there's some serious inconsistencies with the written part of the labels on these 23s. But I just point to the foil as I'm politely backing away. And, as, you know, this foil doesn't look right to me. I think the color's off. And well, you know, I clean those with Windex. <laughs> you know, it shouldn't be a big deal. I clean them with Windex. Like, neat, thanks. I'm, I'm going to walk away again. Yeah, red it's flags. A, it's, a, it's about your partner, right? And it's about knowing all those methods. Like, you know, it's funny. Like, now that I've said there's no particles in current Van Winkles, that doesn't mean that, like, someone's listening to this at home and they pick up a 2011-20 year and see the little white floaties at the bottom. Well, sometimes the lipids get cold and they, add, they, they turn into this, these white floaty things at the bottom and those are legit. So you, so you have to know more than just being able to just take the topical level of, you know, of what someone says about a whiskey if you're going to get there. The laser <laughs> code is literally like, I can't tell you like a worse, a worse reason to call a bottle real or fake than a laser code on its own. Why? Laser codes are put on on the bottle wherever the machine, you know, wherever they hit on the bottling line. Sometimes they're covered. Sometimes they're smudged on the bottling line. But the retailers certainly don't care about them. And if the retailer didn't get them in the box and they're being grabbed in the bag 
by the salesperson, right? And the people on the truck and so on, they're all being smudged. And then if someone's taking it out to show their friends and they don't know any different, there's so many times that bottle is touched and that laser code is just like the softest ink that can be rubbed off at any time by a thumb or a finger. Like that just can't be, that just can't be included in why a bottle is real or fake. Yeah. Like all it can be used for is a dating you. You know, you know a the rule I think here is you should only come to Jack Rose and Delilah because you can be, <laughs> <laughs> we are trusted. I like it. That's yeah. it. I, shameless I shameless yeah. plug. Funny, funny. <laughs> Mike, my, you know, I, since I've been hogging the mic from the microphone over here for Mike, he's been curiously silent because, you know, he does all his diligence. So here are guys like, now, yeah. this stuff's not a thing for me. I, I got all my stuff on lockdown. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing about those laser codes is sometimes I can't find the damn thing for like 20 minutes, right. <laughs> you know, and then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, there it is. Yeah. So, you know, and it's like you, like, like George was just saying, you're looking at you like, ah, oh, this part's like smudged. So I, I completely agree. I, you know, I, I think given, you know, I, I wish our friends over there in Frankfurt would, would contemplate maybe a, a slightly different approach. Yeah. You know, the old antique collections has said, you know, 2004 spring, just why not we, you know, if, if people are flipping out about their certain whiskeys and what year they are and they, you know, people are that interested, maybe it's time for them to, to stop making it hard for people like us because we can, you know, the, the bottles that we have on the shelf, I, we don't have a lot of problems with, uh, with, with what we're talking about at, at Delilah's, but you don't want a customer looking at your bottle and saying, I can't see the laser code. Right. So this must not be legit. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, it came from the distributor. What yesterday. kind of place is this? Like, what kind of establishment are you? You're right. Can't see the laser code because 14 bartenders have already poured one ounce off of it. And so, 37 customers have already handled it. Like, how are we supposed right. to protect the laser code? So I think, I think when now that we're in this current marketplace, companies that are putting out collectible whiskeys, sought after whiskeys, um, value-driven whiskeys, they they should be helping all of us out and be a little more identifiable in their packaging. I, I think we would be all in agreement that every year's Pappy, it should say what year it is. Yeah, more clearly on the bottle. Yeah, capsule, please. It shouldn't be hieroglyphics the, you know, to try to understand with, with a simple hologram or some other method of knowing that the bottle has been opened. And you can, they can't ignore where it's at. We can all be aggravated, but we can't ignore <laughs> where it's at. I and mean, I was, I was at the Heritage Center yesterday, the Heaven Hill Heritage Center yesterday. And I was talking with one of the guys that runs that. And we were, you know, he was, they were putting out the new Parkers and he was already a little exasperated by what he was dealing with. He, he was telling me that people will show up with vans full of people that are their straw buyers that don't have any idea what they're doing. They just have cash. Yeah, they just pay them hundred bucks to go sit in line. And while we were standing there, um, a guy bought a bottle and then, and then left and then, I had to go to another distillery that I was doing some business with. And that same guy walked out of that gift shop and went in his car. And he sat there for a little while. And I came back in my car and the pictures were on the dash. The cat bottles were on the dashboard. And he was taking pictures. And I'm like, <laughs> man, I'm like right there, right in front of us. And we were just talking about it. And I mean, it was just so Couldn't weird. Couldn't wait to get out of the parking lot. That, <laughs> you know, didn't get out of the parking lot. And we're just sort of like, man, crack it and drink it. The best is the crotch shot, you know, right, in the know, distillery parking lot. Right, right, right. You know, there are. Since we know that, my, my point is that since we know this is the world that we live in and the marketplace that we live in, and these aren't, these aren't old crow chest piece bottles that, are, that, that people are taking crotch shots in parking <laughs> right. lots, right? But at least you can look at that Parker's and say, okay, this is the edition that it is. 
We can immediately identify, as long as it's a legit bottle, you know when it came out and which edition it is. And so, I mean, I, I agree. Let's get some of these bottles that are really collectible and people are really into having. I, I think ultimately, it, as long as people, even if you're made of dough and you don't care what you're paying on the gray market and you're buying these bottles, as long as people are saying, I want to know more about American whiskey and I want to drink more bourbon, if, if it leads more people to want to drink the bourbon, that's good. But if it leads people to think, you know, that this is an elitist category and I can't have these whiskeys and I'm never going to try them, that's bad for all of us. Yeah. It's not just about the, the, the secondary market and the, and the people who are just looking at this as, as pure economics. I can buy it and I can sell it, make some dough. Um, I think we just don't want it to undermine people's experience. And so if, if, if the, if the, the Winkle products or the antique products or, or whoever, whatever distilleries products, if, if they want to stay ahead of the legitimate curve and they don't want on-premise specialty retailers like Jack Rose or Delilah's to be second guessed, then they need to help us. And they're going to ensure that that customer who does go to their regular little liquor store all the time and spend money on a regular basis so they can. And then when that opportunity comes up for them to buy a bottle, they know what they're getting is not only legitimate, but they can be proud that they got, look, it's this year's and it says it on this. And, you know, I know that I'm getting what I'm paying for. So I, I think it's time for the distilleries to start to take a little bit of a stronger hand in, in ensuring for all of us what, what, what we're buying. The one thing you can always, how you can legitimize a bottle for the most part, if you've drank fuel is open them and drink it. And you'll know, I tell you what, so when you meet that guy and you buy that bottle, crack it open and take a sip and be like, I'm sorry, I want my money back. This is not the right thing. And if you need authentication, we will travel and come drink your rare bottles and tell you it's legitimate. So. Well, this event that we're doing today here at uh, the Bourbon Bonanza event here at the Harrison Smith House that everyone should come to in the future. Yes. Well, um, the way gotta get more tickets. The way <laughs> you gotta get a bigger venue. I guess. We'll never move to a different venue because we like this one. Um, the idea of this event is that you need to come to it and you need to commune with everyone and you need to, if you want the bottle, you have to come and support the, the benefit and support what, what we're trying to do here. You have to bid and you have to buy them. And we all agreed and were sworn to, we, we pinky swear the whole <laughs> thing, that we won't let bottles get out of our on-premise businesses because they're only available to on-premise businesses that people can come to your bar, your restaurant, taste it, and be enthusiastic about coming to Bardstown, Kentucky, participating in Bourbon Fest, coming to our, our benefit, tasting, learning, trying these cool Dusties, trying our Delilah's special releases, learning about it in a, in a, in a setting that's that's a, about community. And then at, at Delilah's, when we finish a bottle, I've had people offer to buy bottles and we'll, they'll open them in the bar. And I'm like, no, I'm sworn <laughs> to never let. And the bottles are empty. We break the bottles. Yeah. So even the empty bottles can't leave. Yep. So, you know, but, but our press is that we, we don't want our specialty bottlings to end up in collections, not because we're elitist about it, but because we are promoting community. And that's what this event's all about here today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first event, that was one of the first time I ever even had Dusty's, like three years ago. People, you all brought your all's collection, had like a Russell Reserve 98 or something. I was like, it's like introducing someone to an addictive like, drug, though. It's the like, problem. What is this? <laughs> and, then, and then somebody busts out an 86 old granddad, and I'm like, what is this? And then I go and immediately buy, like, even like three years ago, it was pretty affordable to get, you know, those bought. Now they've just gotten absurd. But uh, this is an awesome event. And I want to be respectful of your time because we're getting close to the actual event. Really? <laughs> well, 4.30, yeah. so. Yeah. I, you know what? If, if leaving on this note, I think 
the one thing I, I think we all would, we all came from drinking. You know, we didn't set, we, it's not like we got into the bar business and said, okay, let's go drinking. <laughs> we were drinkers. We, you know, we commiserate with, with everyone out there on the expense and that. So Sorry, when you, co- yeah. Right. So when, <laughs> yeah, so when you yeah. come into our, 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 our bars, our restaurants, and so many other good ones across the country, ask them what barrel picks they have. Ask them what the great brand. Yeah, you don't I have agree. to go in there, you know, and don't price point. You know, just say, hey, listen, I got 10 bucks, eight bucks, 12 bucks. What do you, you know, Here's we literally geek out with you on finding something that you'll appreciate and enjoy at that value. So when you walk into our places, never be intimidated and don't be afraid to ask us, you know, we want you to drink. We want you to come in. We want you to have value. And we, I guarantee you, you go into Delilah's, you're going to find value. You come to Jack Rose, you're going to find values. And there's other guys that have that same philosophy. And when, you know, when you go to different stores or store picks, I think that's where you need to put your money. Just put your money in these collaborations that people are doing, the store picks, uh, anything new. You know, I mean, don't be afraid to use that word new because there's some great stuff being made and there's some great collaborations out and there. Look, at the end of the day, <laughs> that guy can come in and spend money all he wants. But what, what, we, what Bill and I have always agreed on, the reason we started working together from minute one, we first started each other, is we agree in the most important factor, fun. Yeah. And we both offer a fun environment. Oh, yeah. And when people think you go into a place, there are whiskey places that aren't that much fun. And you feel like you're getting kind of taken. You don't feel like anybody's that concerned about what, you know, where you're at. And I think that, you know, to, to speak with these guys, and what Mike mentioned earlier about saying this is what my cap's going to be on how much I'm willing to spend. If you come to Delilah's, we got something for you for three bucks. Yeah. We got something for you for 150 bucks. So if you want to get into some really exotic stuff, you're probably paying more because it just costs more, <laughs> but it doesn't mean that you have to. Right. And I think that that's, you know, what it still comes down to is the, the reason we all got involved in the whiskey business is it's fun. It has a great community of people finding old dusty bottles on the store shelf. You're like, oh, I want that one. <laughs> yeah, fun. Breaking it up with your friends, fun. And what we were trying to, you know, what we all agree on in, in our conversations here today is we want to make sure we keep it fun. Yeah, and that's and still the end of the day. The bottom line. Another shameless plug for the two of us is the fact that <laughs> you know, although we're really into whiskey, I mean, Jack Rose just won Best Beer Program. Mike really does beer. Last night we had a Firestone Walker, David Lynch, Twin Peaks thing where people came dressed up, you know, in Twin Peaks characters, and we had all kinds of Firestone beers, and it was it was an amazing yeah. event. So we put just as much effort into our beer, into our cocktails, into our whiskey. We're a bar. We want, you know, there's no one excluded. You know, we do a lot of whiskey. Mike says it's a Mike Miller bar. You know, Jack Rose is often characterized as a whiskey bar. But when I say the word bar, that's because I can give you a cocktail. I can give you a beer. I can give you a whiskey. I can give you a decent glass of wine. That's a bar. A bar is accepting everyone and making sure that you have what they want to drink. That's yeah. a bar. I can I can advocate for that because my my wife hates whiskey and bourbon and we went to Jack Rose's and yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But but we went there and, uh, she was like, this is an amazing bar. She's like, we need this in, in Louisville because we can sit here. We can have a conversation. This, the service was great. They were very educational. It was a fun atmosphere. It was just a great place to just hang out, you know, and that, that, I think Mike and I drank a bunch of Petruga at his place one night. I think we sat around. We did. Yeah. So nice. Yeah. It was pretty good. So. Well, so 
with that, we'll just wrap it up here because we all need to get to our party time and uh, start drinking, hanging out. Uh, appreciate you guys taking the time. Start drinking? Yeah, well, we have been drinking. Uh, this is being recorded, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we have to admit, we've been drinking scotch. I blacked out thing, there. Yeah, so. I didn't want it. That's why I was trying to hide it. It's called Bourbon Pursuit, not scotch. <laughs> yeah, but uh, ex bourbon barrels, correct? Uh, wasn't it? Uh, no, uh, first fill share. Oh, first share. Yeah, I will right. admit, this is the first scotch that I've liked. It's very good. Yeah. It, this is amazing. I have to admit. Yeah. But once again, you can't make a great scotch most of the time without a good bourbon barrel. So there you go. Exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, guys, I really appreciate you taking the time, hanging out with us. It was awesome. Tonight's a sure. great event. Uh, sure, I'm going to be paying for it tomorrow. It's going to be usually a nice hangover, but it's well worth it. Um, appreciate it again. If you want to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, follow us at, at Bourbon Pursuit. Um, you can find us on iTunes. Uh, if you like what you hear please give us a review uh we also love hearing social show suggestions and feedback so uh just let us know what you want to hear and we'll bring it to you and we'll see you next time